Somebody count me down. Three, two. <laughs> Wait, can you start at five? <laughs> Why don't you just start talking? It's not enough time. Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. Action. We're live. Welcome to Pulling Threads, everybody. Uh, we are glad you are here. Hello, Cliff. Hey, Nate. Hey, Megan. Hello, Megan. Hi. How is everybody? Pretty a little good. tired. That sounded uh, not so pretty good. Both of you sound a little no, I'm exhausted. Good. Yeah. I am tired, but <laughs> okay. I'm glad to be meeting with my friends today. Yay. Today, where are you going after this? Yeah, uh, boom, 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 chew. Uh, is that a drum? <laughs> Your drum. We oh, uh, we need to work on your drum. I know. I really, especially as a musician of sorts, <laughs> uh, I really should have a better handle on the whole drum thing. But yeah, uh, you should. Boom, 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 choo, choo. <laughs> so at the time that we are recording this, we have two episodes that we have released into the wild. Uh, Cliff, your episode was first. What kind of feedback have you gotten on that? Uh, very good feedback. Uh, first of all, a lot of people have just thanked us generally for. I don't know. Again, providing this safe space to have a conversation, you know, and uh, I think that um, I think we're providing something that's needed or providing something that people didn't know they needed. And um, I know in my case, um, you know, not everybody knows what it's like to be a, you know, homosexual who's been closeted for 39 years. But a lot of people have talked to me about how they do have somebody in their family or a good friend who has dealt with that. And and just hearing my story kind of ha- gave them a more well-rounded understanding of what their loved one uh, may be going through. And then other people, you know, a- again, there's common threads there. So um, I-, I think what we're doing is is good. I think people are receiving it. If you find it helpful, please, uh, at the risk of sel- sounding self-serving, we share it, you know, and share with people you know, what you think, how you think it could help them. Yeah. So Cliff, when you just said that uh, about people not knowing what they needed and that kind of thing, what I've been thinking about this week is what, what you lose when you leave your faith and you lose this community and you lose connections. And I think that is hard to replace outside of religion mm-hmm. um, because it's a really specific way that people come together uh, in, in, inside the faith and you know you sing together and you eat together and all of that and i think that yeah yeah Yeah. you fellowship to put it in christianese yeah um and you megan's favorite term you do life together and uh but you know i think being outside of the church you 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 give that up you know and that's a that's a loss it's like a it's like a big loss i think for people and it's hard to build relationships in general as an adult and yeah. even I think I found it even harder uh, outside of Christian communities yeah that's yeah. true that's kind of like we've talked before about um, you know it's this is not the easiest path for sure <laughs> not that the other path you know being in the church is easy either but that is definitely a big hurdle or yeah no I know what you mean I do want to recognize um I mean, there are some who have pulled threads 
Um, and you know, even who even grew up evangelical and have pulled threads and they have adopted more, they're still in the faith. It's mm-hmm. just more of a progressive faith. And, and I don't want to ignore. Um, and sometimes I, th- I think that it comes across like this when, when I post, but there's a whole segment of the Christian church that still fellowships that, that are more progressive with their views that they do create safe spaces uh, to ask questions. And and so there's still a segment out there where you can still engage in church fellowship. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's important for, for me especially to remember that. And I think that's the thing about our podcast is we're not here to say that one thing is wrong or, or right. We're just here to share our experiences and learn from other people's and, and hopefully be changed by those two for the better, whatever way that that is. Yeah, you're right. And I don't have a ton of interest in debating on this podcast. I don't think that's our purpose. Like exactly what you said, Megan experiences. And I can share that Lindsay and I've talked about, you know, we've, we've moved to a new place uh, Mm -hmm. yet again. It's kind of our, our, the thing we do. Um, but we've moved to a new place and talking about how it, how it is difficult to build friendships and are we willing to, to try a progressive church? Yeah. Um, is that something that we're willing to do? I think after deconstruction, you have to put something back together. Uh, and like we've mentioned before, you don't have to replace what, what you have before with something else. But, you know, you do... Uh, well, and because it's like we've talked about too, our emotions through deconstructing go through different phases. So once you've worked out your anger and your bitterness and you've figured out some of the things that you maybe still appreciate from your old belief systems, I think that can help you be in a more like peaceful place to, to try something new or to put stuff back together in a way that makes more sense to you now, you know? Yeah. Well said. So we do have some loose threads to tie up here. Ah, uh, boom, 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 chew. No, no, no chew, no chew. But um, ching, that's a drum. <laughs> boom, boom. No. <laughs> but that's not the joke drum. Uh, so if you would, if you would, uh, if you have any interest at all, in actually, we'd just like to hear from you either way. Um, if you want to share your story with us, we would love to hear it. Uh, you can go to our website, which is, Megan? Pullingthreads.captivate.fm. There you go. And if you want to drop us a line, you can email us at? Pullingthreadspodcast at gmail.com. That's pulling threads plural. Yes. Podcast, singular. But not with the words plural and singular. <laughs> like if you type those in to, if you say pulling threads plural podcast singular at gmail.com, it we will not receive that email. We also have Instagram and Twitter, which we just recovered. And... That's, on, that's on me. That's on me. Yeah. <laughs> and a Facebook um, page yeah. coming soon. And speaking of coming soon, we're still in the process of figuring out what this is. Uh, and so we're, we're, you know, our style is changing and has changed since we originally thought about this. This started out with... Cliff and myself, we we were talking about this idea, and Megan was someone we both immediately thought of as we need to talk to her. We need to we need to get on tape and talk about her journey because she would be a great person. You know, she, her experience is exactly the kind of experience we're looking for, and we did. We we met with her, we interviewed her, and afterwards, Cliff and I both thought 
actually Megan needs to be a part of this because she brings something that Cliff and I don't have and she brings a, a great perspective and great insight and so you're going to hear a conversation with her that we had before uh, we'd kind of formed a team of three it was just a lonely team of two our wolf pack was two <laughs> and it was not yet to three it was it was uh and so after this conversation we we, we talked to megan we were like we we actually really want you to be a part of uh the team and, and a part of and this and i had to think long and hard about that she she, she <laughs> left us on red for days no i did not mm. <laughs> and they texted me and were like so what would you think about joining us and i was like i don't want to sound too eager but yes i'm in (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and we're the better for it uh yeah so megan um what they're going to hear today is a conversation we have with you yep and it's about your journey anything Mm -hmm. we need to know going into this um not that i can think of but yeah just that we had it a while back so if we if we sound like we're not all working together i mean i guess that but <laughs> no. i think it was the chemistry that worked though yeah that's true the reason we... no i yeah i mean i would just say this was y'all's first episode interviewing someone else right besides sharing your own stories so yeah yeah uh we didn't we didn't have kind of like an outline necessarily of what we would normally do but i think i think it was still still works hopefully and hopefully you'll find something that you can connect to here and yeah so now we'll do the zach morris where he would have a little memory and it would go off dream to the side. sequence Ooh, that would yeah. be perfect for my episode it would so dream sequence now okay hit it okay i'm just gonna need about four hours of your time and no i'm <laughs> just kidding <laughs> Um, I guess I should give just a little bit of background, um, kind of like you, Nathan, I grew up in the church. My dad was a minister. Um, he started working for the Southern Baptist convention and then he got a job at Guidestone Financial Resources, which is a company that helps Baptist ministers in their retirement funds. So we moved to Texas when I was five. I grew up in Missouri. And when we moved here, we joined a church in the area. And I mean, was just, that was my life at church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, whatever, Tuesday night teens, um, you know, all these acronyms I'm sure I can remember back to. GAs, were you a GA? Oh yeah, GAs, choir, church choir. Um, all that, all that stuff, and it was really real to me. And I think one of the reasons that it was real is because of my parents. Like they were the same all the time. They weren't acting one way at home and then acting a different way at church. It was just this was them, and they were. I love them, you know. Um, like from the very beginning, I'm a stubborn person, so. My brother came home, He's he was five years old, and he was in kindergarten, and he came home and he told my parents that he prayed and asked Jesus into his heart on the playground that day at school. And I plugged my ears and was like, <laughs> la, 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 I don't want to hear this. I don't want to talk about this. And I don't know why. I think mainly I was scared to get baptized, honestly. <laughs> Were you older than him? Yes. I'm okay. about two years older than him. I, I just, anytime they would bring up the conversation, I'd be like, ugh. I don't want to talk about this. 
And then um, another big part, I think, of my faith journey has to do with music. Um, So that was always kind of tied into my faith. And I had gone out to eat with my dad and my brothers one night. I guess my mom was doing something. And we were coming home from Pizza Inn, and Wayne Watson started playing on the radio. I don't know if you're familiar with Wayne Watson. He had a song called Home Free. And it was about how, like, when you die, you want to be home free. You want to be able to, like, be in heaven. And the music got to me, and, like, I physically, my stomach started hurting. I'm, like, probably seven or eight. Like, this is, I still remember this. This was a real thing. And I think sometimes people with their deconstruction of their faith they think, oh, yeah, I was just persuaded as a child, and that really didn't mean anything to me. But, like, nobody was pushing this on me from what I remember, you know. And so I was listening to the song. I got home. My dad was outside feeding the dog, and I went out there, and I was like, uh, Dad, my stomach hurts. And he's like, do you need to go to the bathroom? <laughs> I was like, no, Dad. And I started crying. I was like, I think I need to ask Jesus into my heart. <laughs> and he was like, okay, well, that's good. That's good. And I was like, so, again, embarrassed that I I was like, he's like, we can just say a prayer. And I was like, will you say it for me? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, no, you need to say it. So I guess <laughs> I said some form of a prayer. And then... I felt better after that. So basically from that moment on, I tell that story because, like I said, it wasn't some evangelist. I felt these physical feelings, and it it was very real to me. And from that moment on, I was very serious about my faith. Mm. I've always, and you can ask my parents, and I think that's part of the stubbornness is what I'm uncovering. Part of my personality with the faith can create some not-so-great situations, (laughs) And I started, I'm starting to wonder if people's personalities married with the faith that they've kind of created, it, I think it affects each of us a little bit differently based on our personality. So that makes sense. Yeah. Give, give, give me an example of that. What do you mean when you say that you, it's created? Okay. However, however you phrased it, what, what's an example of that? So I guess from a, a very young age, like perfectionism runs in in me when i was in high school i kind of started struggling with disordered eating and i think that is a form of perfectionism too and so growing up the way that i did in the church having super strong convictions like i'm not going to drink till i'm 21 if even then i'm you know i got to read my bible every day i got to have my quiet time i got to do what i think is right i need to be like the one that people can come to when they have problems. And so this this perfectionism thread, I think, is one that I started kind of unraveling. And also the idea that man is depraved, like we kind of suck. Man, I don't know about you, but that was like taught to me that we are basically nothing. I mean, there's a Bible verse that's like, you are nothing apart from Jesus, and so that mentality of, oh, I just, I'm, I'm a terrible person. I need this. I need to follow God. I need to do what Jesus says. And, and I think 
the kind of legalism that can come with Christianity sometimes, that with my tendency for perfectionism was something that kind of blew up on me. And I think because of the pride too, I was very hard on myself and I was hard on the people like around me, um, maybe not to their face, but (laughs) I would say it's very easy to grow up. And I mean, we all know this now, but it's very easy to grow up judgmental, like as a judgmental person, when you're in that kind of faith that says you are set apart, you are special, you know? And so like putting that even on other people where it's like, "Mm, they shouldn't be doing that, Mm." you know, and having pride in the fact that I wasn't doing those things. Right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I I can identify with that a little too much. (laughs) Yeah. But no, that, that does make sense. Okay. Okay, So what you've explained Mm -hmm. is a very typical, not just evangelical childhood. It's a very typical Southern Baptist childhood. And, you know, you and I both came from that world and I get that. So how did you kind of question uh, this faith that you've put everything in, when did, when did that happen? And you know, what was that moment like? You know, I, it's, it's almost like there's a zillion threads that kind of all came together to, uh, weave a tapestry, if you will. (laughs) Um, with the, I think probably one of the first eye openers, like I mentioned a minute ago, was that, uh, disordered eating that I had, because if I was such a good person, that followed all the things I was supposed to. And I had this problem. What did that say about me as a Christian? And could I still be a good leader, even if I had this sin in my life or whatever you would, you know, say, but I remember I, I think I was a senior and I like admitted that I had a problem and I like told my whole youth group, I have a problem with this. You guys, I want to share it with you. And for a while, that even, that step was kind of like, okay, cool. I like did my thing. Now let me just keep on going about my my life. Um, and then when I got to college and was away from it, you know, pretty much everybody I knew, my brother happened to be at the same school. Just different things started happening. So like my home church had a split and my parents broke off with some other families and started a more small like house church and they had split because of money. There were parent from what I understand, there were some older generations in the church that were sitting on a lot of money through Pepsi Cola stock apparently. (laughs) And they wanted to use it to like, I don't know, do different things in the church and it just caused a lot of problems. And so my parents kind of had a little, evolution as well, breaking off from their traditional church to kind of go to this more what they envisioned Jesus would be a part of, just like community. More organic. Right. And while they did that, I went to, I joined First Baptist Church Lubbock. I was a small group leader. I sang in the band, but I I knew I had, I was trying to get through that disordered eating actually healing from that and and realizing that there was actually freedom in my faith versus legalism is what started pulling the threads was like oh i 
don't suck. Oh, I am beautiful. Oh, I am creative or a good person or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of started pulling some threads, moving away from seeing myself as like a terribly deprived person that was in a constant struggle to get better to mm-hmm. the person that was already fully and wholly like loved just as I was. Right. To me, that kind of started it, I guess. Okay. Because then I started questioning other things. Like what kinds of things? One of the things, this is like so stupid and so small, but I, it was like a thread. It was Christmas time and the youth minister was like, hey, why don't you guys go to Walmart and here's $100 and get a blow up snow globe for the youth room. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, why are we using this $100 to buy a freaking snow globe for the youth room when we could just give it to kids who don't have anything? And things like that where it's like, why are we doing the things that we're doing? And how is that helping? And how is that like Jesus? I don't think it's starting to match up exactly. Right. So would you say that initially you had bigger problems with the church, like the institution of the church, rather than the faith itself? Yeah, I was thinking about that over the last week. I never really... I mean, there were there were issues with, you know, like we've talked about women in the church and leadership and um, LGBTQ plus like rights and, and things that I started becoming aware of that I started questioning some of the things about faith. But initially, yeah, I think it was more about the institution and how I don't really think Jesus would be a part of this church if he was here. You know, I think he would be hanging out with people and, and going just, he wouldn't be a part of the building. And my Mm -hmm. dad and parents were always very adamant about Christ isn't the building, it's the people. And I think even though they were still involved in church and I was involved in church, that always kind of like rung true for me. And so just thinking about how, yeah, this, this doesn't really line up with who I would think Jesus would be. You have kind of a, I don't know, disillusionment, right, going with, mm. with the institution of the church, but not with God, not with Jesus, not with your faith theologically, like, is there anything that like, kind of, yeah, now I have a problem with that too. Yeah. When I was in college, I started dabbling in Calvinism, (laughs) started reading. Uh, I always, like I said, I think it's a part of the taking it seriously is like, I wanted to know scripture. I wanted to know the, like, I had friends in high school that would, um, like do apologetics and argue and, you know, just really dig deep. So I read a lot of authors. I guess during this time also, I'm reading Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz. I'm reading Rob Bell, Love Wins, which kind of questions the existence of heaven and hell. I'm reading actually The Chronicles of Narnia, which kind of sounds strange. So I read it as a 20-year-old or 20-something. And There is nothing strange about that. Okay. Just okay, want to add good. that in. Thank you. Because honestly, this is probably the biggest thread. So I was talking to my brother about Calvinism once, and he kind of drew this picture of Calvinism and like universalism as little sticks. And he drew like a plane underneath them, and he drew 
a line that was like connected between Calvinism and universalism, just talking about how he thinks we just don't understand everything. And I thought, oh, I kind of like that. So I was reading the Chronicles of Narnia, and it's the last battle. It's the last book. And in the last book, there's this character named Tash, and he's like the fake god, and he's evil and bad. And they have this big battle, and Tash has servants that serve him and things like that. And the battle is over, and Tash loses, of course, because he's not the real Aslan, which is, I think, representative of God or Christ. Um, And they make it to, like, their version of heaven. And the kids are there, the characters from the book, with Aslan, the lion, who represents God. And all of a sudden, they see this servant who had served Tash sitting under a tree. And they go over to him, and they're like, "Uh, what are you doing here? He's like, uh, actually don't really know, um, because I served Tash this whole time and I don't know why I would be here. And Aslan kind of says like, you always were seeking the truth. You were always seeking what was right. And even though you were doing it in Tash's name, you can never do anything good in his name. Anything you do good is always in my name. And I was like, wait, what? And I really had to think about that in terms of that's when I started thinking about other religions and other groups of people and like, why do I think I have everything figured out? Like, if we can do no good apart from God, maybe God is actually bigger than I have thought about before. And that just really blew my mind. Um, And I would say everything from then on was kind of like, oh. That's I interesting. Think some things. I like that. I think so Oprah this... said the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I don't know. If, uh, yeah. So that book for sure really started to get me thinking about other cultures. Yeah, it does. It, it uh, like for instance, my uncle is an atheist and has been for quite some time. He's one of the nicest, loving, most giving, yes. smartest people that I know. Yes. And to act like Loving people do not exist in other cultures who are completely divorced of the message of Christ yes. and Christianity it is quite a statement. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just what that kind of reminds me of. Yeah. I mean, the other big thread I would say that kind of goes along with that is meeting my now husband who would not say he is a Christian. And I was having this like existential, you know, wow, maybe God's bigger than I thought he was. Then I met Jacob. We worked at Central Market together. <laughs> part I was part-time while I was a youth intern. And I didn't really date growing up, um, probably because I didn't think anyone was good enough for me because <laughs> I was a perfectionist and I just... Which is really sad to me. I'm like, man, little Megan, you should have like... Opened up your mind a little more back then. Anyway, that's a, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> um, but so when I met him, you know, I think that was one of the first times that I had a real relationship with someone who didn't believe the exact same things that I did. And it was like 
we did believe the same things, but we were speaking different languages. Mm. Kind of like you're saying about your yeah. uncle being loving and kind. And, and I started thinking, well, how can he be nice and loving and all these things, but not be a Christian? Um, and, and that goes back to that idea of like seeing God as just the God of the Bible instead of the thing that weaves together everything on earth. But I also know enough of that journey because I lived it to know that the response from the evangelical church to that is the whole works-based salvation and you don't get to heaven by doing good deeds and doing good works, right. which ties into the the C.S. Lewis, you know, storyline there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, if you do not credit Jesus, if you are not putting your faith in Jesus and only Jesus and whatnot. So how did you handle knowing that knowledge, knowing that that's the response, that your husband, even though you guys are both loving and even though you speak different languages, he's probably going to hell because he doesn't speak the exact same language that you're speaking. Yeah, you totally yoked with an unbeliever, Megan. I know. Uh, and I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's another thing, right? Like, seeing people who didn't follow all the rules and all this stuff and, and end up happy and But how did fine. you reconcile that? Was, okay. was there a need so, of reconciliation there? Oh, for sure. I mean, I needed to like feel okay with this. You know, if this was something that we were going to do for the rest of our lives, be together. So, uh, you know, a lot of people would say the verse, um, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the father except through me. The way I reconciled it was again, through what I'd been reading and, even like Rob Bell's questioning of hell and and heaven even is if no man comes to the Father except through me, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Maybe, again, maybe Christ is bigger than the Christ that we see in the Bible. And who says we have to say a little magic prayer? What if God, the Almighty, whatever, shows itself to people in a way that makes sense to them. And then if they live in that truth and knowledge, then that's their way of acceptance. I don't know. I started kind of thinking about things like that. Like who are we to limit what God can do? So does this, and I don't know if this is something that you'll get to, but how does this tie into you've reckoned the Bible itself, like how you viewed the Bible or began to view the Bible. When I was a youth intern at that church, we took a trip to Washington, D.C. Um, and worked in some soup kitchens and, and did some, you know, whatever, like Bible camps or whatever. Um, but one night we were at this church and we were having a, just a little service for the kids and I had done the music and we were like sitting around on a gym floor and the speaker that night was a, I think a first responder from like 9-11 and he gave his story. And of course it was really powerful. Two things. I started trying to see things through somebody like Jacob, my husband, his perspective and like how those things sounded to outsiders started bothering me. So the the guy who was speaking at the very end, he was like, all right now, 
I want to know, um, I want you to stand up if you believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And I was like, huh? I was like, uh, I don't. I don't really feel comfortable standing up, but I'm like the youth intern. I probably should, um, but I don't know if I really believe that. And I had my guitar in my lap, so I was like, I'll just stay seated and let people think I just was sitting because I had my guitar. But I was like, I'm not going to stand up for that because I don't think Jesus asks us to believe that the Bible is inerrant. Where does he say that? Like Jesus was in the Bible talking about how the Pharisees had it wrong. Mm. Um, and I just, I thought, I don't have to believe that the Bible is without flaw in order to know that the kind of person I want to be and the kind of person I've tried to shape my life around is... It kind of it kind of seems like you got to a place where Jesus <clears throat> became bigger than the Bible yes. to you. yes. Sometimes I think one of the biggest things I think about is myself and the way that I used to think. And I think friends who maybe listen to this or I've had conversations with some of my friends. One of my friends about a year ago questioned my salvation. That didn't feel very good. <laughs> because I can't I can't explain fully everything, right? Like you're saying these are threads and so and I realized one of the reasons why I was having trouble this week, like putting together my story is because for the last 15 years, I've worked to like pull everything apart. I don't want to have a closed box on what this is. I want it to be open. I want to think about things. I want to rest easy. And that's why I can't make it concise and small is because that's what I've worked so hard to break free from the past 15 years. I don't want to have the same faith as I had when I was a child. I don't think that's healthy. I think this maybe goes back to my perfectionism and pride, which I, I need to like keep a handle on, I guess. But like, I don't know if this is relatable, but because I was so engrossed in that, and, and I felt like my friends, or some of them at least, like looked to me to help them. Why would I still be there today? I need to be moving forward. And maybe, I don't know, I don't really want to, I guess I don't want to talk too much about my, my, my friends. But I just have a hard time with having the same faith as I would have as a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old. Or five years ago, like, I don't want to have that same kind of faith because I don't think that's what faith, I think we need to be all evolving and growing. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, Jar Jar Clay said, though, faith like a child was good. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the song that well. Well, and Jesus, I think, said that. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's a great album. But. So don't knock it. I, no, I, I'd love that album. Yeah. Other it. than Flood. Other than the most popular song. I didn't care for that one. Flood. Oh, gosh. Wait, hot, um, hot take here. Yeah. Much Afraid was a better album than that first one. Just saying. Jars of Clay was too hard, hard for me. I got to stick with Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a Kentucky boy. True. Oh man, yeah, we, we don't hear much we need about to him talk anymore. Talk about music—that's yeah. for sure. Oh, oh gosh, 
that was the heyday of Christian contemporary music. Mm-hmm. The late named nineties, the the early two uh, thousands. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, was all, it was all Petra when I was a kid, but oh, then that really, yes. Oh, yes. really, really evolved. Yeah, yeah. Michael, and, w. And Michael Smith W. Smith first. Yeah, yeah. But when he first came out, uh, I had been listening to Stephen. Wait, Kirsch. what? Ch- not came out like, <laughs> as far as I know. Um, I had been listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman, and Michael uh, W. Smith's voice was very scratchy, and I didn't care for it. He was not as good of a singer as as C squared. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. So one of the first concerts I ever went to was an Amy Grant concert, and she had this uh, keyboard player named Michael W. Smith in her yes! band. Yes! Yeah, and I remember she let him do one of a song he wrote. Oh, uh, yeah. little, little Mikey, you can yep. take over for a song. I, the first concert I went to was The Great Adventure by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Wow. It was this amazing. Is, this is going to talk about how lame my childhood was, but my first concerts didn't happen until college. Cademan's Call. And, um, yes. Yeah. When I was going through a lot of this, I listened to Sarah Groves, actually. She has this album, and I'm going to admit it, I still listen to it today because it is good. And it's like, I was listening to it yesterday because I was like, let me... Let me like listen to what I was listening to when I was kind of going through all this. Some of the lines that have like stuck with me, um, which I th- think this is actually a, a quote from a saint, but like the fullness of God is man fully alive. When I first heard her say that, I was like, huh, that doesn't sound right. Like, I don't, I don't think we're supposed to be like enjoying ourselves over here, you know? And then I realized like, oh, Maybe that is right. And uh, looking for the holy in the commonplace, going back to what I was talking about with Jacob, she has a song about loving a person just the way they are. It's no small thing. It's the whole thing. And I think this kind of ties into what you've said before, but like love to me, God is love if you want to say it that way. But like what, what more could we want or do than to love others and so i think that's part part of where i am today that's a perfect that's a perfect transition because i I, that's what i want to know i want to know you know after growing up in the church questioning your beliefs choosing as a partner for life someone who you know didn't grow up that way and doesn't believe what you believed previously and so now where are you like what what do you believe what do you call yourself all all of those Mm. questions One of the things, one of the places that I'm at right now is, and I have been for a while, is I started looking for how things are connected versus how they're different. And to me, that made more sense. It was a happier life. It was a more compassionate way to see the world and other people. And like, how can I connect to this person? Um, I think there's even a verse in the Bible that's about be all things to all people, right? So that's kind of what I want for my life is for whoever I'm talking to, whoever I'm encountering, I want them to feel connected to me. So if they're a Christian, I'm going to try to like connect with them. If they want to talk about that faith, sure. If they're a Muslim or um, if they are an atheist or whatever, I'm going to try to live life and, and be with them and talk about things that make sense for both of us. 
if that makes sense. So like focusing on how we're connected versus how we are different. That I think is a way that I want to live. I want to live in a way where I, I actually have a tattoo on my hand. It's a little heart. Um, and I got it after I did music for this girls camp back in the day. I just remember thinking and, and struggling because at times I was up on stage in front of people singing songs when I was going through all these kind of thoughts and doubts, I guess you could say, but realizing that I wanted to do things out of love. And so however I could make that make sense. Um, and that's kind of why I have that little heart on my hand because it reminds me like, am I doing this out of love? And then last, I guess, almost feeling, I think for a long time in my faith, I wanted to be right because that felt safest to me. And through all of my friendships and relationships and reading and experiences, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I actually am finding more peace and freedom in the not knowing than the knowing. I'd rather not know than just think things because they made me feel safe and because they made me feel right. I don't really associate with a label. I kind of feel like I'm more into Christ-centered like mysticism these days. <laughs> if you're going to go from the perspective of Jesus even, he doesn't require that we believe in the Bible. He doesn't require that we belong to a certain church. He doesn't require that we believe that the Bible is inerrant. And I, I like that idea, I guess. Well, let me ask a question. So when you, you said all things to all people, when you navigate those relationships you have with your friends who are Christians and still believe the faith they've always believed in and believe like they've always believed, how open and honest are you about where you are now? It's tricky, mm -hmm. right? And navigating all those relationships is a tricky thing when you come, when you grow up evangelical and you're in that world and then you, you know, you leave or it evolves to a place that really isn't recognizable to, you know, your yeah. former self. You, you have those friends who are still there and it, it's, it's tough. And sometimes it's like, I just need to have this conversation because they're going to still be a part of my life. And then sometimes for me, it's like, well, I'll just avoid ever talking either about that or to that person yeah. ever again. I, I know I've talked to my closest friends probably about it because I think that's one thing that's helped me is I feel like my friends and my family have kind of evolved together. Not exactly the same, but I, I, yeah, that would be hard for me. Absolutely. You guys definitely have very similar journeys from just your upbringing in the church and your parents all the way to the tattoo. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a tattoo. <laughs> Jesus fish. <laughs> Right. I don't have. I don't. Have, I, yeah. I guess I never got the tattoo. It's time. It's the one missing thing. It's okay, Cliff. I can't see you with a tattoo, man. I think it's okay. okay. Yeah. So Megan, Cliff, and I really appreciate you being here. I'll speak for him. I, I feel like like he would also thank you, right? Yeah. Cliff, you would definitely you would thank, thank her. You. Okay. Yeah. So Cliff and I both are very grateful for you being here and sharing because this is you know it's not an easy thing to talk about and put out there into the world. So we appreciate it. I think a lot of people will relate to your story. 
and relate to, to those to moments that you've talked about and find themselves in a very similar place now. Well, okay, welcome back to the present. Uh, that was the inter- that was the conversation we had with Megan, and man, we sounded younger back then. <laughs> Simpler times. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, what what do we need to tell everybody here at the end of this? Um, well, I just want to say thanks for letting me share, and thanks for listening. Um, but if if you were listening and you're like, oh, maybe I have some threads I want to talk about or explore, or maybe you thought about something you haven't thought about in a while. You can hit us up. We'd love to hear your story. We have a button on our website called Tell Us About Your Sweater or in the show notes. Um, there's a button that says links and you can share your story there. So, yeah, if you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. And join us next week when we interview uh, somebody who's actually from my hometown. Her name's Kara. She's got um, a remarkable story to tell. Uh, Cliff, we need to know next week's podcast pairings, please. Podcast pairings, TM. Yes, Kara has specifically stated that her podcast pairings should be dark chocolate and red wine. I don't know. Sweet. I don't know. That's up to you, listener. Okay, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya. Bye-bye. Love, Love you guys. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> Beat you to it. Yeah. All right. Everybody good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we stop? Yep. Yep. <laughs>